Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Noah was an intercessor and why intercession is so important. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. So when those people got off the ark, they looked at Noah and they said, you really did live up to your name. You really did bring us rest and comfort from the way that the earth was or was heading. And so Noah then was seen as they got off the ark as the rest giver. This word offering means it comes from the root of a step, like a a step of a ladder, something that's ascending, something that's going up, something that's rising up. And so this shows us that offering is like a prayer. And Noah could have said, my priority is to build this first post-flood community of man and see it expanded. Maybe they'll name a city after me, Noah might have said. But Noah didn't. And so we want to be just like Noah, who was known for building an ark and an altar. Now, if you've missed any messages this week, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org to download them. But here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our expository study this week from the book of Genesis. Now, some people just build an ark and they don't have an altar. And that's like people who work day and night to evangelize, and they never take time to worship. They never take time to worship the one, to adore the one that they're telling other people about. So to only build an ark without building an altar will lead, first of all, to burnout, and it'll also lead the lost to see there's no spark of love in what he's talking about. Why would I want to get myself into that kind of bondage? of having to go out there and knock on all those doors and so forth. On the other hand, to only build an altar without building an ark is to refuse to follow him. And that's not only hypocritical, that leads to a disaster in life. That's what the Lord described in Luke 4, 6 on the famous parable of the wise man built his house on the rock. He says, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He says, I'll show you what that's like. It's like a man that built a house, and the one who does what I says, he digs down deep and lays a foundation. The flood arises. Well, you know, the house in the room. Remember? <laughs> and so, well, <laughs> but on the other hand, he says, you know, he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation, without a foundation, built a house upon the earth, and, and then the house on the sand went kabam. Now, so to only build an altar without building an ark is to not be a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said in John 15, 14, Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. So we want to be like Noah, who ordered his priorities in life that he was known for building both an ark and an altar. And if you and I want to be like Noah, then we have to start now. We have to, this has to be our life. If we want to have that put on our tombstone, he built an ark and an altar, then it has to be what we're doing now. It's so easy to neglect. It's so easy to neglect the ark. It's so neat building the ark. It's so easy to neglect building an altar. It's especially important. Now, when uh, should we worship God? Or for what should we worship God? Well, it's a, we won't take time to turn to it, but it's a very interesting passage when you look at Jacob's life. He had a terrible time in his life in Genesis 32. He felt trapped 
Because at the end of Genesis 31, his loving uh, Laban uncle had told him that it is in the power of my hand to hurt you in Genesis 31, 29. So those were not nice words. And so Jacob is running from that one who wanted to kill him. And he's heading back to Esau. And the last thing he remembers about Esau was his mother saying to him, your brother is comforting himself, purposing to kill you. So, Genesis 27, 42. So, so he's got a real problem. He's got one saying that he wants to kill him. He's got another one he wants to kill him. And so, Jacob is approaching home, Esau, and then he hears in Genesis 32, 6 that, oh, Esau's coming out to meet you with 400 men. <laughs> so why does he need 400 men? And, he only, and so he thinks he's going to be slaughtered. And he makes a preparation to be slaughtered in Genesis 32. And then he wrestles with God and changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And then he meets Esau in Genesis 33. And they fall on each other's neck and kiss each other and, and weep. Okay? Now, it had been real easy for Jacob to just walk away and say, that was a close call. And to just say, now, what do I got to do now? What's the next problem? But not so fast, Jacob, because then in Genesis 35.1, God says to Jacob, arise, Go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Remember that little incident there, Jacob? It says, you need to go back and make an altar. And that was a great deliverance for you. So that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to stop and to look at what God has done for us and take time to worship him for caring for our sorry soul, to worship him for hearing our prayer, our emergency prayer, and for answering our prayer. See, that's why he told them there, go make an altar. So what do we worship God for? Well, that's the first time we worship God. And that's in Genesis 35, 3, when he turns to his family, such a family none of us should have. Anyway, he turns to his family and he says, Arise and go up to Bethel. I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. That event had just happened in Jacob's life. So what we see there is we worship God for what God has just done for us. That's what we worship him for. We worship him for what God has just done for us. Now, there was another time when one of the priests were teaching the Jewish people to worship him. And it says there in 2 Kings 17.36, the priest said this, But the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power stretched out arm, him shall you fear, him shall you worship, and to him shall you do sacrifice. Now, that event that that priest was referring to at that time had happened over a thousand years before of being brought out of Egypt. So we see from what that priest was teaching the Jewish people that we worship God for what he did a long time ago. See, first one is we worship God for what he just did, and then we worship God for what he did a long time ago. And then we remember in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were in a really bad situation, and it says they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, and they put their feet in the stocks. And those were not cotton-lined metal stocks, though. Those were very painful stocks. So it talks about them. Joseph's, it says they hurt Joseph's feet in fetters. That's what it's referring to. So here's Paul and Silas, and so what do they do? At midnight, they sing praises to God. So in other words, from that we see that we worship God for what he will do. So what do we worship God for? We worship God for what he will do. We worship God for what he has just done. And we worship God for what he did a long time ago. Now, it says in verse 21, 
As we look back here in Genesis 8, it says here in verse 21 that even though Noah has built the altar, even though Noah has made the offerings and the offerings were accepted in a sweet savor to God, sweet, that God said something interesting in verse 21. He says he smelt a sweet savor and he says in his heart he won't curse the ground anymore. And then he brings up this issue. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's what he says. It's like, why did you have to bring that up? But here God reminds Noah, the flood has not taken sin out of Noah's heart. And as the flood has not taken sin out of the, Noah's family's heart, as we're going to see. And Noah is still a sinner. And Noah's children are still sinners. And even Noah's cute little grandchildren, they're sinners. And Noah's cute little great-grandchildren, they're sinners too. I remember my grandson, little Josh, who was only about four years old. And he was in the garage of my son Josh's house. And when Noah was looking... You know, he took some rocks and he opened up the dryer and he threw them in there, you know. <laughs> and so, and he was, uh, so, you know, the dryer was going around making all those noises. <laughs> Josh opens those rocks in there, you know. So, <laughs> he see, so he's, now he's trying to get him to own up to it. So he says, you know, little Josh, he says, he says Joshy, what did you do? Yeah, I'll never forget the classic. It was classic. The little kid, he's only four years old, drops his head, you know, like this. He walks away and says, I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why didn't he want to talk about that right now? Because the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And so why? That's what it is. And so the altar, and, and so when God says to us, what did you do? You know, we do the same thing. I don't want to talk about that right now. We say, later, Lord, I'll talk about that. Because the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So what he's telling him there is that the altar needs to be a place of confession. You're going to need that. Confession. The confession. Because sin didn't die in the flood. And sin didn't die when you and I received the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Noah, so, that, so, the, so the altar is a place of worship, of thanksgiving, and of confession. And he burns up all the offerings there, which is symbolic of the whole burnt offering. So it's a place of where we wholly dedicate ourselves to God. Now, what's very interesting here is the next part, what Noah did. Now, when Noah did what he did, built the altar and made the offerings, God makes a statement in verse 21 where he says he won't curse the ground Again, that's what he said. So, and by the way, where did God make that statement? What does it say? Verse 21. Verse 21. Where did God make the statement? In his heart. In his heart. That's something. I mean, what, imagine that. Within the heart of God, God says this. Imagine that. What's happening here is going on in the very heart of God. What Noah did caused a response within the very heart of God. Now, what's the response that God has? Well, God's response to Noah is that he makes him a promise. And he says, the promise is that he's not going to curse the ground anymore. Okay, verse 21, I won't curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing that I have done. Verse uh, Genesis 9, 11, neither shall all flesh, called Basar, be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there anymore be a flood to destroy the earth. Genesis 9.15, the water shall no more become a flood to destroy Colbasar, all flesh. Okay, 
So as part of his promise also to not curse the ground, God promises to maintain cycles of the day and cycles of the season. And that's verse 22. He says, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So what's going on here? It seems simple enough. I mean, you know, number one, Genesis 8.20, Noah builds an altar and altar of sacrifice. Number two, Genesis 8.21, God's pleased, promises not to destroy the earth with water again. But this seems very simple. It's very simple on the surface, but not so fast. Not so fast, because there's something far more profound which is going on here. There's a very important part of God's promise that we don't want to miss. And it can be seen in the word and. I mean, you get a clue to it when you look at Genesis 9, 9. And when God starts off and says, and I, behold, you know, remember the word behold, that's the wake up word. You know, that's where God says, wake up, wake up. You're reading this, wake up. I want you to see this. He says, look carefully. Something really important is about to come here. Behold, he says, I establish my covenant with you and, and, and with your seed after you and, and with every living creature that is with you and the fowl and so forth. In Genesis 9, 12, God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and, and every living creature that's with you for perpetual, perpetual generations. Genesis nine fifteen, and I'll remember my covenant which is between me and you and, and again, Every living creature of all flesh and the waters and so forth. And then it goes on in verse 16 and he says, And the bow will be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh. What's going on here? What's happening here? It's not as simple as we just said. Noah builds an ark and he offers a sacrifice. God makes a promise that extends beyond Noah to Kolbasar extends beyond Noah to all flesh. Noah offers a sacrifice, and thousands of years later, thousands of years later, we benefit from what Noah did. Now, that's a picture. That's a picture for us of priestly intercession. Noah did something that pleased God, and God made it to benefit far beyond Noah. In fact, Kolbasar, every man and every living creature. One person pleased God and it benefited others. Noah is in essence, therefore, as we look at him here, this is what a priest is. Noah is a priest. Why? Because this man Noah, standing as a representative of man, does something that pleases God and therefore Noah is able to, to extend the blessing far beyond himself to others. Noah is able to extend the blessing to the uttermost. That's a very important picture when we couple it together with Hebrews 7.24, where it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as this man. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able... To save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lived to make intercession for them. This man, Noah, standing as the representative of man, pleased God, and the blessing extended to the uttermost, far beyond Noah. This man, the Lord Jesus Christ, standing as the representative of man, pleased God, 
And the blessing extended far beyond this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the uttermost. This man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was standing as the representative of man. Just like Noah, he pleased God, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So, we've seen today how this man, Noah, was very, very important and his life affected Colbasar, all flesh. That's why God started the use of the term all flesh with the man Noah. And that's because he's a, he's a type or an example of the Lord Jesus Christ who also did something that affects all men. As we saw before, the salvation is for all men and of all men, of all flesh. They come out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe. And so we see here the extended blessing which has come as a result of that. That's our person, Noah. That's our person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we've seen here this morning is how when he brought forth of all flesh, he was then standing as the representative for all flesh that had been saved because they were with him in the same way that only those who are with the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be saved. And so therefore... We see in him, and this brings us now to the next part, which we're going to cover next week as Noah goes forth now in his life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you did in the life of Noah. And thank you for caring so much for us that you took a lot of trouble to write it down exactly so that we could open a book this morning, God's book, your book, and be just as if we were right there with you and Noah. And we understand, Lord, that you've done all that writing and all the trouble of making sure it was written and copied down, Lord, letter by letter and jot by jot and tittle by tittle so that we could have it preserved today and be able to open it and have you teach us just like you taught Noah. And we pray, Lord, that what we've learned today will help us to be like Noah and that we would be known for building an ark and building an altar. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, today you talked about intercession. Why is intercession so important for us as Christians? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because before I became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not even sure I knew this word intercession. It, it sounds so so complicated and technical, but it's very important for us because of the verse that we covered today in Hebrews 7.25, where it describes the Lord Jesus Christ as the person who ever lives to make intercession for, for us. And he is also described in Isaiah 53, 12, when it talks about he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So if you were to look at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and you ask the question, what's it all about? Really, the last statement in Isaiah 53 tells you he was making intercession for the transgressors. When he made the atonement, he was making intercession for the transgressors. When he 
poured out his life when he became the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He was making intercession for the transgressors. So intercession is so important for us because we are the transgressors. We are the ones who need an intercessor. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to be our intercessor, to be the pure, holy, sinless one, to stand before God the Father and to plead on our behalf. And when he pleads on our behalf, he pleads on the basis of the blood he shed for us, on the body that was broken for us, on his life that he that he gave for us, and as he put in Isaiah 53, 12, on his soul that he poured out unto death for us. And I can see, Tom, why we do need an intercessor. But is there another side to intercession that's important that We need to understand for us. Yes, and that's very important because it's not only that we need an intercessor, but we need to become an intercessor. And we see this so clearly in the life of Moses where it says in Psalm 106 verse 23, therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. So here we see Moses is our leader, and Moses is leading us to become like him, where Moses was his chosen, and it says that Moses stood before God in the breach to turn away the wrath of God, lest he should destroy those that had provoked him. It says in Ezekiel 23, 22, 30, it's almost like God wrote a help wanted ad in, in Ezekiel 23, 30, when he says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. This is a sad statement when God says he puts up his help wanted. He says, I got a job for any believer. And the job reads, the job description is that you should stand in the gap before God and that so that you should plead that God would not destroy it. And they says, he says, I don't care who, any believer who will take me seriously, any believer who will accept my job application to be the public defender to stand in the gap before the land that and plead that that they should not be destroyed. He says, I looked. He says, I found none. It was so sad. It's a very sad situation. But when we look at what Moses did, it's given to us in, in Exodus 32, where God starts off in Exodus 32, verse 10, and he says, now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. And then it's says, and Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? We see the greatness of the lawyer, the attorney Moses, who stands up there and he says, Lord, this is your friend speaking when it says besought the Lord his God. And he say, and he reasons with the judge of all the universe, of all the earth. He says, why does your wrath wax hot. You brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Look, O oh God, at the commitment that you made when you brought them out with this great power and a mighty hand. And then the great lawyer Moses, the intercessor, the attorney stands before the judge God. And he says in verse 12, wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of, of the earth? You know, that was exactly what they said again 
against Moses. They said, you brought us out here to kill us, to make graves in the desert. And that was the voice of the devil. That was the voice of the enemy. And so Moses then argues and he works hard there in that courtroom. And he's saying, look, you don't want to put an argument like that in the mouth of the Egyptians so that they say that you only brought them out here to destroy them. And then he goes and and he drives more, Moses does, when he says, turn from thy fierce wrath, repent of this evil against thy people. And then he pulls the Abraham, Isaac, and Israel card when he says in verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, all this land I've spoken about, give, they'll inherit it forever. So he then turns and he says, remember what you said to their fathers. I know that they're sinning before you and making the calf. I know that, but you made great promises to Abraham, Isaac, and to Israel, and those promises came from you, and you are the faithful one, and in spite of their sin, you will keep your promises because of what you said to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. The same thing that it says over in Romans when it says they are beloved for the father's sake. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and we see Moses arguing this before God, and this is the mighty, wonderful work of the intercessor. And his success comes in verse 14 when it says, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. God is into intercessors. God wants us to be an intercessor. He wants us to learn how to wrestle with God in prayer and to do the work of an intercessor. Thank you for joining us today. Now Noah was a preacher of righteousness who was moved with fear and compassion while God was giving mankind space to repent. Now will you be like Noah and carry out the message of hope and gladness to the lost Jewish people around you? Well, we have a part-time opportunity for you to reach the Jewish people around you. We'll give you the gospel gifts that you can give into their hands. Friends, lawyers, neighbors, doctors, those that you know around you that are Jewish, we want to get that gift into your hands. And you can call us today at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. We'll give you the gift. You can work for us part-time. Give them out to the Jewish people. But if you want a full-time opportunity, if you live in the San Diego, Orange County area, you can work with us at Israel Restoration Ministries. Just call us today. 1-800-247-3051. Call us today to learn more. 1-800-247-3051.